The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Relationships, and D6 Family hosted a track called Discipleship in the Home. How are you doing with family discipleship at your church? Well, D6 Family has put together a free assessment to help you discern exactly how your church is doing at equipping parents to disciple their kids. This is called the Church Health Assessment, and it's just 30 questions. They've even included scoring instructions so that you can do the whole thing for free. It's a PDF available at discipleship.org d6, and that's the letter D and the numeral 6. Now here's today's track session from D6 Family. This, uh, this <laughs> session uh, is about discipleship in marriage. Um, and we really want to we want to focus kind of on a little deeper to talk about discipleship within your marriage, but also what discipleship looks like coming out of your marriage, from your marriage to to other people. So uh, we're we're excited to to get to be together with you guys. Um, As we get started, since we do work with kids, we're gonna kind of have a little bit of fun here. Um, we're gonna play charades. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just wanted to ask you a couple questions. How many of you know what Play-Doh was originally <laughs> created for? When, crea- when Play-Doh was invented originally, it was not intended to be a preschool modeling play. Wasn't it preschool. made to bake and make pottery? No. I mean, it, maybe it was, but that's not the... Well, what I read was that it was created to be a cleaner for wallpaper. So you would put it up against the wallpaper and it would pull off the dirt. And um, so a a guy by the name of Cleo McVickers created it in the 30s. He was a soap manufacturer and he did this because you couldn't wet wallpaper. Uh, Then especially they didn't have the quality wallpaper that could handle any kind of moisture. And um, so he created that. 20 years later his son Joseph reconfigured things a little bit and realized it would be a really good preschool modeling play. So there's a little fun tidbit. Uh, What about bubble wrap? Any idea why bubble wrap was created? For husbands to pop and annoy Um, their wives. Some kind of insulation. Insulation, did you say? Yeah, yes. Okay, that's a good guess. It was actually, we're sticking with the wallpaper paper theme, it was actually created to be a textured wallpaper. Uh, didn't, didn't work out too well. Back in the well. 60s, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then it was around the time after that, it wasn't selling very well, and IBM was creating a lot of their bigger equipment needing to, to send things, and so they marketed it to IBM to protect some of their equipment as it was being shipped, and then it just became known for that, yes. <laughs> Um, all right, so how about these guys? What are some uses of these guys? I mean, obviously we know they were created to be uh, useful in getting to those hard-to-reach places, although they say don't put them in your ears, and yet that's what they're marketed My for sometimes. So. Clean out a gun. Clean out a gun. What else have you seen people do with Grout. Grout? Clean the grout? Shoot straws. Shoot straws. That's right. That's straws. <laughs> Um, they're really good. You know the return air vent and how it gets all that the extra dust and stuff? Put these things lined up with some, get a little bit of rubbing alcohol or vinegar on there and it just 
It'll be that. Um, the vents in your car or the crevices in your car around your gear shift or whatever, they're, no, they're good for that. I make up. Do what? <laughs> oh, no. You fill your friend's car with them. Do you have any personal experience about this? Okay, no. He doesn't want to go on record as saying that he's um, You know, there's a lot of things that were created for one purpose, used for another purpose. Um, or used for the intended purpose, but then additional purposes have been added to it. And so we're going to look today at what God's Word says about marriage, the purpose of marriage, and how discipleship can can look within the marriage and then from the marriage. <laughs> All right. So we're going to, let's just kind of, we'll start with kind of this uh, definition, if you will, for what we're going to go through. This is, uh, you know, this is not all-inclusive, but it's just meant to give us kind of a, a jumping-off point for this, all right? Uh, marriage is a holy covenant relationship between a man and a woman. It is a metaphor to describe God's desired relationship with His people. This is something that uh, that's very critical for uh, husbands and wives to understand. Um, you know, there's, I think you just mentioned about how there's lots of there's lots of good things, good parts of marriage, good reasons to become married. But we want to remember the ultimate reason is that we're supposed to bring glory to God. We're supposed to use uh, our relationship with our wife uh, or with our husband to be to be a relationship that reflects God, reflects His love. Um, well, and the definition that you said calls it a metaphor describing. Uh, God's relationship with his people. And there's so many different times in the Bible where we see um, the Lord described as um, the bridegroom, or we see us as believers as the bride of Christ. And there's so many references that if you understand a godly biblical marriage, you see the beauty in that, and you see why the Lord chose that as a metaphor to help us understand. So really, our intended purpose is to be that beautiful picture of the gospel that everyone can see around us. And uh, we think that, that when we look, if we're looking for what can provide clarity and, and like direction for us in this topic to, to, to look at as Christian husbands and wives, where do we find that clarity? Where do we find the direction? It's in our discipleship to Jesus. That's where that's going to be found. So let's, uh, if I, you know, this is not church, so you may not have a Bible with you, but I'm going to read, read from, the, from the scriptures a little bit. And the first thing I want to uh, go to is Ephesians 5, 22 and, 20, 22 and 23. Um, go there if you'd like, if you have one Bible with you. But it just simply says here, this is one of those, <laughs> one of those uh, passages that sometimes cause raised eyebrows, okay? It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his church, of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Ooh, man. You know, if you've been in, in church for very long, uh, and I grew, I've grown up going to church, and I remember hearing this topic come up many times, but what uh, are some common reactions that you might hear Whenever these verses are brought, are brought out. Oppression. Oppression. Mm -hmm. Okay. And depression. <laughs> yes. Amen for men. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the men's yeah. section gives a big hearty amen, right? Right. Abuse. Abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. yes. Exactly. That's so, so good. So good. She said it depends on the way that you learned what it meant. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you look at what the Bible says about marriage and about our relationships with one another and how we relate to God, if we look at that and if we do it correctly, discipleship and marriage, which is this is what this is describing, discipleship and marriage, if we do it right, it achieves what God has envisioned for our marriage. He, he calls us to have this type of a discipleship in our, in our marriages, and He calls us to abundant life. He only calls us to the things that are, that are good for us. He calls us to things that are going to help us grow. So if done correctly, it helps fulfill what God has put out there as His way, as the right way to go. But if done incorrectly... It can lead to some bad stuff. It can mess up the, the hierarchy of biblical headship that God laid out in the scriptures. And that can lead to things getting broken and distorted. And whenever that happens, of course, we know that that, that is not the direction that God wants us to go. Um, for instance, you know, if... Oh, go ahead. No, nothing. Okay, okay. When it gets broken, that's my word. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if we were all honest, we'd all stand up if it yes. would stand up if you're broken. So. Right. Amen. We are broken. And, hey, I'm right at the top of that list for sure. And I just want to say, bring that on anytime. I'm a kids pastor, so I'm used to people talking when I'm talking. So it's okay. So you just bring, yes. just bring it on. It can be about Stand anything. up and stretch. Go get a drink. Just don't pull each other's hair. Yeah. So you... Y'all know, y'all can probably think of some good examples of what it can look like. You know, some of the words that you use to describe what comes to mind. You know, you could get uh, a man who tries to rule his home with like this iron fist because he's read this one verse, taken it out of context, not really dug in to see what it's supposed to be about. And so he's like, yes, I am in charge. I'm the king of my castle, you know, and that's not the right way. It's not the type of humble leadership that he needs. Uh, or you, you might get a home in which um, the wife ends up assuming all the leadership because her husband is just lagging behind. He's just immature. He's not interested in leading. He's not interested in doing what he's supposed to do. So that, that model that God has laid out can easily become broken if we're not careful to stay on top of that. So the answer is for us to look at how God has organized this. And, and the scriptures lay it out. The scriptures show us the reasoning for why he chose the words he did. And the, the backstory, if you will, about that submission and that uh, respect and, and, and the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so to gain a little more understanding from that, I just want to look at one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, verse 3 in that chapter, uh, of course, you guys know uh, Paul has written a letter to the people in Corinth that, that he had uh, befriended and, and kind of helped plant as a church, as you know. And, and so he's written these letters, this first letter back to the people in the church, and he's addressing different issues, several different things that had gone wrong. And he spent a lot of the time in the, chap in the chapters leading up to this kind of correcting some of those things and he's going to continue correcting but right in the middle of, of this the beginning of this chapter there is a little tidbit of a verse that just kind of shows us this foundational viewpoint that I that we really believe I said I, I was going to say we because we are united we are one 
27, 27.5 years right here. Uh, we're, in, we're in this thing together. We like to tell people that together we make one pretty good person. Because <laughs> my side has got jacked up like 80% of the time. Her side's really good about 80% of the time. So put it all together, 100%. So uh, in, in this... 80, <laughs> so in this chapter, uh, Paul goes to to address a topic where apparently they had a lot of things going on in their worship services that were just kind of out of sorts. And he, he includes this verse, the Lord inspired him to include this verse to help address that. But this is one of those verses, I believe, that we can we can kind of see the heart of God pulled out if we if we don't worry about what comes after all of this, okay? I don't want to take it out of context at all, and I don't believe that we are doing so. And it says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, I don't know, you may be like me. I read some scriptures, and I'm like, yeah, I've read that before. You know, you just kind of breeze past it a little bit. But just in leading up to this, I've been reading several things about this, this verse, about what was going on here, different commentators, what their viewpoints on different things are, and uh, I've really just been really fascinated with this. So if you, if you look at this, uh, you can see that it's kind of a, a flowchart of biblical authority, right? Uh, and, we, and we know that, that, that the way that looks would be God, Jesus, man, wife, right? That's the way that that looks. But again, that, that automatically gives the impression that, that in a biblical marriage, somehow a wife has to feel inferior or unequal or beneath a husband. But I want you to see from this that, that this is not true, okay? So whenever we see the word head in the Bible, when we're talking about headship or authority, um, we need to remember that it really has to do with two things. One, who, who is like, who do we answer to? Who are we submissive to? Who should we be submissive to? But also, where do we come from? What, what is the origin? When we say the head, like the headwaters of a river, that's the source of a river. So when we see the head, you know, it says uh, the head of every man is Christ. He is our source. He's our beginning. The head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. When we see that, we're talking about who we submit to and then where we come from. So I think it's interesting in this that Paul didn't just start. Uh, he didn't start at the top and work his way down. He, he chose there, or he was inspired by the Lord to start there in the middle of that flow chart. And he begins with Christ's headship over the husband. Now, I don't want to claim to be the Holy Spirit at all, right? But I can just imagine that, that God knew how distorted this was going to get. And so I think he, maybe he laid this out for us in these ways so we can, so we can hopefully learn this uh, once and for all. So Paul starts out by calling the husband to submit to the headship of Jesus. Jesus is our beginning. He is our source. Bible tells us that through him and by him all things were created. He was there at the beginning of the world. He'll be there. He is God. He is fully God, fully man. And he is who we are to be submissive to, husbands. And really all of us are to be submissive to Christ, right? But this is the way that this flowchart works. Uh, to submit to Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. Is to put yourself under his authority, to put yourself actively under his command. 
And any authority then that the husband wants to bring to bear in a marriage, if it's going to be a biblical marriage with discipleship in the marriage, then it has to be authority that is expressed because he is already submissive himself to Christ. It has to be that way. Think about this. We all have the freedom to do whatever it is we want to do. We can make all kinds of choices, born with the free will. We can go any direction that we would like. But something compels us to do the right things. Whenever we are in submission to Christ, when the husband begins by being in submission to Christ, his freedom is regulated by love. His love for the Lord Jesus and by his love, for, by his love for his spouse. So because of that, if that's the way he's being directed, then he's going to be called forward to do what Jesus wants him to do. The thing is, we all have that sin nature too. Um, the way we teach the kids is that your sin nature is that natural want to that you have to sin. Uh, we can deny it all we, want, all we want to, but we are all born with that nature to do the wrong things. And so without that discipleship, and that submission to the Lord, it's natural for us to go our own way. It's natural for us to, to interpret things the way that we pridefully want to or selfishly want to. And so when a husband is submitting to the Lord, he's naturally going to be uh, empowered more by the Lord's strength and the Lord's help, the Holy Spirit's help, to suppress that sin nature that's there. And the wife, as she does to the husband and so forth. So... You know, everyone comes to the table the same. We all have a sin nature. Sin nature. No one's no one's exempt uh, except Jesus, and that's why it's so important for that discipleship factor for us to have that one-on-one -on -one discipleship with Him. Um, and it just makes sense if uh, you know Steve and I are standing here uh, side by side. If 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 we would put an anchor up here at the top, right above us, and that represents the Lord, and Steve's trying to go up his you know, wired to the Lord and I'm going up my wire, naturally what's going to happen? We're going to get closer to one another. And so that discipleship with the Lord, if I'm working on getting closer to Him, if Steve's working on getting closer to Him, then naturally we come together in that process. And so some of that um, misconception, if you will, what you're talking about, is taken care of just because of that individual intentional choice to work on our individual relationships with the Lord yeah. first. Yeah. Our, our headship, our authority as men in, in the marriage, it, it is there and it's, it's something that God has placed there, but it, it, it is only properly effective whenever we realize that it's only good when we are in submission to Christ, whenever we are there. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and just, like, just like God communicated to Adam, uh, and they, they were had that close fellowship, and God gave him responsibility. Um, it was based on his submission to what God what God placed over him, what God placed uh, on him as the, as the the rules, if you will. And today, God is still looking for for men, for husbands who will fully submit themselves to Him, to to His lordship, so that they can be uh, the leaders that their families need. That's not to say that, that, that the mothers and women, wives, are not also leaders because they certainly are. But this, this begins with showing that, that if men are the head of the wife, it starts by really focusing on the fact that we have to be realize that our head is Christ. So uh, look at that, that. Think about that next phrase all right, where it talked about how God is the head of Christ. 
Um, this, this is so fascinating to me because, you know, when, I, when you work with kids, kids have all sorts of questions, and, it, and they can bring some really, really good ones, you know? Uh, and sometimes they, 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 don't, they have a hard time understanding how God could be God the Father and how God could be God the Son in human form. And, you know, it can get a little bit confusing. But we know that, get, that God the Son came to the earth, uh, gave up some of his divine rights, if you will, and came to the earth to be who the Father sent him to be. Jesus did the will of his Father, even though he himself was God. He chose willingly to put aside what he wanted to do, what he might have wanted to do. He set that aside so he could do what needed to be done for us. You know, in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 5 through 8, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You even see that in Jesus' prayer to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Lord, if it be your will, and yet if it's not, then your will be done. And so we see him setting that example for us and saying, Lord, it's what you want that I want. That's good. That's good. If Jesus hadn't humbly submitted to the Father, our redemption would not have been possible. We would not have been able to be to be saved. God the Father would have had to come up with some other rescue plan. Uh, but thankfully, that is not what happened. Jesus, and he knew it wouldn't because he's sovereign. Right. But that's a yeah. whole other, like, let's talk <laughs> that's about that. That's a whole that. other seminar, right? <laughs> but Jesus did humble himself. He submitted himself for our sake. And just because he submitted himself, do we think Jesus was weaker? Do we think ever that Jesus was inferior at all? Or that he was less intelligent because he let himself get crucified? We don't think that way at all. We are inspired by his submission. We're inspired by what he gave up for us. Jesus laid down his freedom to do whatever he wanted because of his love for us and his love for the Father and his, and his desire to submit to them. So as the husband learns about Jesus' headship in his life, he learns how to be properly the head of his wife. And, you know, but when we look at the phrase, the man is the head of the woman, right? We can look at this and we can realize that as, as a wife learns about Jesus' submission, she learns how to be properly submissive to her husband. And that's, that's where this thing just kind of makes this beautiful circle where, it's, where we're all being mutually submissive. You know, it's not about, well, I'll submit if you submit first, you know, or anything like that. It is husbands submitting to the Lordship of Christ. It's wives submitting to the submissive nature of Christ that they see Him doing toward the Father. And and it matches up like that. And the beauty of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy is that even if your marriage didn't start this way, it can go from today on that way. Even if your marriages that you're working with in your church, you know, it's so important for us to remind people that we don't need to just focus. If the start wasn't what it needed to be, 
there can be a newness in Christ, mm-hmm. um, and, and that marriage can be renewed, and, and, and that um, that lordship and that submission to the Father can take place from a new date, and, and maybe that, that date needs to become a special date. Um, but I know too many people who assume, well, we've, we've just messed up all these years, we've not done it the way we were supposed to, and I don't even know how to make it right now. Um, that's a lie from the devil. That mm-hmm. is not from the Lord. That is the devil saying, just keep it going, because a godly marriage that's pointing children and others to the Lord is something that he fears and he knows is a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. So if you or you know of someone who is struggling with that, um, I challenge you, recognize God's grace and mercy is so real, and you can start afresh today, Mm -hmm. um, no matter how your years past have been. Yeah. So get, get back into this as we look at, at how in the beginning, in God's plan, from the beginning, someone had to take responsibility that he, he had created man and he gave him the responsibility. Someone had to have the responsibility. And all of this was, was from the beginning, right? And at the time, woman had not been brought along yet. It was, it was Adam and all these animals. And, you know, now later in Genesis 3, nobody wanted to take, <laughs> nobody wanted to take responsibility, right? They wanted to throw each other under the bus a little bit. Uh, but this is where it began. God created Adam. He placed him in charge of everything there. And then later, he brought along woman. Woman was literally created from something from within the man through the power of God. And we are, we are taught by scriptures to know that, that woman has been created to be the perfect complement for, for a man. Not the last 20% or anything like that, you know, it, but, but to be truly hand in glove, the perfect complement for what, for what a man needs. God knew that man could not do it on his own, and that is why he provided the perfect complement to him. We didn't say amen. Yeah, come on, we can get a layman. But, but because God created things in that way, we should never think that women, wives, are weaker. We should never think that they are not equal to, to men. We should never think that they are uh, less intelligent in any way. Because this is the way that that God has set it up. Woman and man, husbands and wives, work together. And it's important to realize this is different roles. It's not lesser people. Right. You know, the Bible tells us God created every one of us in his own image. Um, Not just men, not just women, not just people from this country, this race, this nationality, whatever. God created each and every one of us in his own image. And I think that... In marriage and discipleship, but even in our relationships, for us to recognize that we are all valuable, that we are all worthy of the same love from the same God and the same respect from one another. Yeah. So we're working together, we both submit to Christ and work out the plan that he has in our life. So let's see if anybody, let's give you a chance to do, give us a little bit of response here. Does anybody know, this, this could be just way out of left field, but does anybody have a clue what Luke 9.23 talks about? <laughs> you got it? Deny yourself. Yeah, that's exactly right. Ding, 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 ding. Luke, it says specifically, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Discipleship in marriage is really a daily choice. It is something that we have to wake up and do. It's a daily decision by both the husband and the wife 
to die to themselves. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world, how to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials. It's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. And again, that's easier when my focus isn't just on, is he happy with me? Am I in good graces with him? Is everything hunky-dory with us? But rather, how am I doing in my relationship with the Lord? And if I'm focused on that, and he's focused on that, it really does become easier. It doesn't mean there's not rocky moments. It doesn't mean there's not conflict. But it changes the way we view things. It changes our perspective because my focus is on being who he wants me to be, not being who he wants me to be. Um, and, and the beauty of that is that in doing that, my desires are going to be to be what he wants because of the way the Lord works in all of it, the way that mm-hmm. he kind of orchestrates it all and kind of meshes it all together. Mm. Um, Can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> Which part? <laughs> I said a lot of words. When you're on... When you're focusing on the Lord, yep. and you're not focusing on all His right. wants and all His desires, that your relationship with Him is better. Right. God gives you what you need. Exactly. Through Him, and He gets what He needs yeah. from God. So it takes a lot of stress. Off exactly. Yep. Our human nature is to try to be what other people want us to be or expect yep. us to be. Some people get beyond that, but I was given the spiritual gift of guilt, and so. <laughs> If I make someone upset, it upsets me, and I, you know. But um, I'm a people pleaser, and so I want him to be pleased with me. I want him to be happy with me. And there have been times in my life when I cared more about what he thought about me than what my Father God thought about me, and that's wrong. Um, and so getting that in line and recognizing that I am who my Father God says I am, and that needs to be my focus, it automatically aligns my focus with my husband and encourages me to be who I need to be for him. Mm-hmm. And when he's yeah. doing the same thing. It's, it, yeah. it is like a beautiful orchestration yeah. that only the Lord can do. God fills um, in all the gaps mm-hmm. that, that would otherwise be there. Uh, we've been learning about, uh, tr- about not having a performance-based marriage mm-hmm. where uh, I will be happy with you as long as, as long as you perform or as long as I perform, as long as I don't as forget this. You don't do this, 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 and that. Right, and yeah. as long as you do that, 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 right? But that's not what it's supposed to be. That it is not about 
what we can perform in order to please one another, to make sure we don't mess up or whatever. It is about doing what God wants us to do, trying to, to make sure that we follow his plan. So like it's this, the man, the husband has to be able to ask himself and answer this question in the affirmative. Can I die to myself so I can give my wife the Christ-like leadership that she deserves? You know, will I strive to love my wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? You know, a lot of times men don't ever go far enough to read that part of it. That Christ loved the church so much he gave himself for it. And that's how we're supposed to love our wives. But then uh, the wives must also be able to ask themselves a question too. Can I die to myself and give my husband the Christ-like submission that I should? Can I... Um, fall under his leadership and, and not question every single thing. If I trust him and his relationship in the Lord, and I'm being led by the Spirit in my relationship, um, then there comes a time where I have to say, you know what, I don't necessarily agree. I would probably pick this option, but I value you as the leader in our home. I trust you, and I trust what you say God is telling you in this, and so therefore I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. We're going to do what you say. Yes. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't have an opinion. That's it right. doesn't mean that I don't express that opinion right. and say, you know what, I'm really feeling this way. And I see, and there have been times when I've come back and say, you know what? That really was me speaking. It wasn't necessarily that I felt the Lord telling me that. I was thinking this would be best because that was my thoughts. But I see what you're saying, and I'm praying about it. And you know what? That is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just give and take. It's mutual respect. It's mutual understanding with one another and trusting one another's relationship with the Lord and knowing that God is the one that's orchestrating it all. Amen. Both are confronted with the daily choice. Are we going to deny ourselves and pursue Christ, submitting to Him as our as our ultimate head? Uh, husband and wife uh, must must work together to grow more and more in the Lord, to keep the cross at the center of their marriage. It can never it can never fade away from our from our thoughts. It needs to be central all the way through. <laughs> what we what we believe is that two two disciples who are who are working hard. Uh, independently to, to follow the Lord in conjunction with one another. Whenever that happens, it invigorates your marriage. It invigorates what, what you have together. It makes it that much better. And we, we just really believe that, that God will take our marriage, if it's working in the right way, and it will become a billboard for people around us to be able to, to see the goodness of God and to point people toward the relationship that He desires with all of us. Well, let's face it, we live in a culture that uh, is a throwaway culture. Everything's, you know, if you don't like it, you just get rid of it and get a new one. There's always going to be a better option. There's an upgrade coming down the street for your next your new phone or whatever. And so we just constantly just have that mindset of, I'll just get a new one. And you see that in marriages around you. Even in, in the church, even in the body of Christ, we see people viewing marriage as an optional a decision to stay together and I submit to you that the marriage it's a covenant promise before the Lord God Almighty this is not something to be taken lightly this is something you are promising before the Lord that you're going to work together to serve him together you're going to support one another and you're going to stay together for his glory and so I think that when you when you can get to the place where you view marriage as holy and sacred as God does, 
and that very valuable covenant relationship, not just some throwaway thing, um, it changes how you look at things. And it, it, and it shows you, you know what? Divorce is not an option. It's not an option for me to get a new one. <laughs> Even though culture says it's an option and the law says it's an yeah. option, but my Father God does not give me that option just on a whim. Now, obviously, we know there are some circumstances, and I'm not talking about those, but I'm saying for me just to get tired of him, and it's just too hard to be his wife, and I miss his hair, and so, <laughs> you know, I mean, me too. <laughs> you know, I mean, but, but it's that petty sometimes, and so I, I just, I see so many people not valuing and not viewing it the way that you need to, and that foundation alone, just seeing it for what it is, right. can be a game changer in how you do things. I think you touched on this, but so many people think that the purpose of their marriage is for them to feel good, for them to feel fulfilled. We try to we try to counsel couples whenever we get we get the opportunity to just just realize. Your wife or your fiance, she was not put here to fulfill you. She was put here to bring glory to the Lord. If you end up being married, she's still not going to complete you. She's not going to be, it's not like that wonderful hallmark moment that everything is perfect, right? It, it, it's just people fall short. There is no way that we can avoid disappointing our spouse. That is going to happen. But what we're saying is you put your focus on the one who will never fail you. And then your wife or your husband doesn't have to be perfect because he fills in those gaps. He brings grace to that. So we have been talking about how to have this discipleship in your marriage. And, and this is definitely something that Katie and I are still working on. And we, may, we have missteps. We have a lot of room to grow. But we thought it would be good just to kind of talk about some intentional ways that you could – or some intentional things that you can do to focus – on how to bring more discipleship into your marriage. So you want to take the first one? Well, one of the first things, obviously, is to view it in the way that it needs to be, that biblical view of marriage, and then to be willing to grow together. What does that look like for you? And so what it looks like at your house might be different from mine. You may be in a household where you both have certain time every day together where you sit down and you do a Bible study together and you talk about things together. You may not have that. Um, maybe you're working on, uh, maybe you work on learning a verse together uh, in, a, in a given week and then you just practice saying it to each other and just texting it to each other and just kind of going over and over. So you're both on the same page working on uh, growing in the Lord together, challenging one another, inspiring one another. Like we, uh, working in the local church, I'm employed by the church and Katie just... She came in the package deal, I guess you'd say, and so she's always working at the church too. But uh, she, our Sunday mornings are really hectic, and we rarely, almost, almost never, get to go and sit in church together to hear the sermon together. So, uh, if when I get the chance to go in another service, she goes in her service. And then, uh, to one thing that we like to do is we will talk about what what we learned in those services. Talk about uh, what what God is doing to help mm -hmm. you grow together. Uh, second thing that that's, it seems so simple, but pray with one another. Pray with one another. Pray for one another, yes, for sure. Uh, send a text to your wife or your husband to say, I'm praying for you right now. You know, is everything, is everything good? You know, let them know you are praying for them. But take some time to pray together. When, uh, when we first started to do this, we've, we've prayed together off and on, but in the last, I don't know how many years, we've, 
we've um, we've started making a, a point to pray together before going to bed every single night, and and it's been such a simple thing, but it it just unites us together before before the Lord and mentally puts us on the same page together with Him, and it's been something that's really really powerful. It's simple, but it's been a very very powerful thing. I feel like to to raise the the, the spiritual level in our in our home all together and in our marriage. Yeah. Oh man, for us, um, you know, again, this is this is based on on, on what what your household is like. Katie's more of a morning person. I am not <laughs> at all. So if uh, whenever I have to get up early in the morning, she barely talks to me because she knows that I'm trying to have the minimal amount of of anything until I can go back and lay it back in the bed for the next hour. She's already up and she's already like done laundry, fixed lunches and she's all ready and I'm just like uh, you know. So for us, we don't try to do that in the morning. You know. Um, we'll do that at night as we are getting ready to go to bed. We'll, we'll do that. And it's not. Watch an episode of Andy Griffith and then have prayer. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in the Northeast. I had never she, seen Andy Griffith. He grew up in the Andy South Griffith. and had seen them all. So we started at the beginning and went through the whole thing. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great way to discipleship in your marriage. Oh, with prayer template? Oh, man. It, it can be. It can be. It's usually pretty simple, to be honest. Um, I mean, it's, Lord, thank you for the way that, that you showed up in our lives today. We believe in you. We trust in you. We love you. And we thank you uh, for, for what you've blessed us with. We'll, we'll talk about specifics that are going on with our girls, with friends that we're dealing with. Um, but do you both pray or do you typically lead the prayer? I usually do. I mean, I'm happy for her to do it as well, but it just seems to be that's the way we've, we've done it. It's kind of been the comfort zone thing for us. One of my ways of praying over him is I will send him texts or emails emails with a prayer or with Bible verse that I'm praying over him. I believe there's so much power in the word. And so there are often times when I'll run across a scripture that I know would be really beneficial for him that day, what he's going through. Um, and so my prayer for him you know, and his for me, like we, we pray for one another throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we do it and indicate it to each other by sending something. Other times we just pray and he never knows I was, mm -hmm. except for the fact that he knows that we try to make that a practice. But um, it, it looks different all the time. I, mm -hmm. I think when we try to make things formal and fit in a certain box, I'm the type of person, if, if it's supposed to be this way and one day it messes up, then I feel like a failure and it meant, and I just think, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And so when we've kind of made it a free form, kind of like it's just a constant ongoing thing, um, it becomes more natural yeah. and becomes more a part of, it, it becomes more often mm -hmm. in our day than just that formal mm -hmm. time would have been anyway. But I will say, we, we, we kind of played with it, tweaked it you know, back and forth, and we found keep them, keep them relatively brief. Uh, and don't squeeze her arm all the time. It's like while he's praying, he just like I don't know. I'm, I just, can't think about I'm, just, I'm making contact. I'm just so glad. <laughs> all right, TMI, TMI. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I think you had. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, do you uh, have a specific time, and do you think a specific time is important? I mean, I, I understand the simplicity. Mm -hmm. It's simple, but not so not, not, yeah. so, not so darn easy. Right. Especially to really start. But, yes. Uh, but do you have a specific time? Do you think a mm -hmm. specific time is important? Yeah, the time on the clock may vary based on what our activities have been, but we know 
something's really something is wrong if we're not praying together before before we decide it's time to go before going to sleep. Yeah. So that it's very consistent in that, but the time looks a little different because some nights we may have been out with the kids doing something, or or we went to a movie or had dinner or something like that. So maybe we're getting in, into the to that routine a little bit later. How old are your kids? 24, 20, and 18, almost 18. I know, and we look a lot younger than that. And just the 18-year-old still getting that? No. The 18-year-old doesn't. No. Depends on, Although, you know, they come home chatty when you don't want them to be chatty because you're tired. <laughs> and when you really wish they would be talkative, they're like, see ya. So. That's right. They're like, how's your day? Good. Okay. Yeah. Yes? Um, so, I'm, I'm newly married. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, what we have tried to do um, in our discipleship and try to grow is we have tried not to make the program. And it kind of concerns yeah. me that I hear these program questions and I just want to kind of reiterate. Don't we have like four books that we read and we yeah. just grab a book? Yes. Our prayers, we just kind of we never go to bed at the same time. Yeah. Because as soon as I hit the pellet, I'm out. So, <laughs> um, but I, I just want to reiterate: don't make it a program. Just yeah. Spice it up. Do something. Yeah. Let it. Have let four it. Four books by your bed. For sure. For sure. Let it be natural. Let it be willing to do something different. Exactly. <laughs> I, I agree with that totally, sir. So you talked about Ephesians five, um, and just kind of going on with that, it also says that. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of the water or of the word mm -hmm. so he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. Mm -hmm. So you see the parallel yep. of, you know, God cleansing his church mm -hmm. and also you see, I see the correlation of like the husband challenging his spouse to grow and mature yeah. and also I think Scripture kind of looks at kind of the buck stops with the husband right, mm. as being the man yeah. household or the leader. Yeah. Um, so in what ways do you challenge your wife to grow without being overbearing or saying, like, did you do this? Did you do this? Especially when your wife is a leader but not, might not be as enthusiastic as you are about this. Okay. I would say uh, he's not touching on like stepping on their toes about yeah. it. He's being like encouraging and helpful in those aspects. That's that's a really fine line to walk. No, I'm I mean, not, I don't I'm know not that sure you would how say well. this for yourself, but I would say he faithfully, consistently lives a faithful, godly life in front of me. And and for our children. And so for me to see that in him and to see him process things that he processes with a godly biblical response, not that he's perfect, because he's not, but I see him more often than not turning to the Lord and his responses, turning to the word and being faithful in that, it inspires me. And I just, I see that in him and I want to be more like that too. And then I want to be that kind of inspiration for him. So it's a mutuality kind of thing. Um, because we do see each other as a team and working together in that way. And so um, I would say that consistent, faithful living, and then he will bring up things. He'll say, what do you think about this? Or I was thinking about the way our family, way we've, the way we've been handling this with the girls, and I'm, I'm thinking this or that. Um, and I feel like the Lord is having us look at this. Um, and so he, you definitely, I think, bring things up 
specifically, but it's because it's backed up with that consistent living behind it that I never feel like it's an overbearing, you should do this kind yeah. of, of thing. So, I don't see him I, telling me something he's not willing to live out. Yeah. So, so it's I, going back to that full submission like you were yeah. saying. Yeah, because and when and whenever I if I see something that that concerns me and my girls or in, in my wife since we're talking about marriage, um, I used to feel like well, I have to be the one. I have to bring this up. I have to help bring them along, bring her along, or whatever. Where now I still see that I have a role in that process, but. If I'm submitting to Christ, and if I'm trusting in, in Christ, then I'm trying to grow as close to Him as I can. And I feel like that, that opens my spirit up to, to the Holy Spirit to understand it's not my job to fix her. Right. Even it is, it is my job to, to help bring her along and, and to, to cultivate an atmosphere that will promote spiritual growth. But it's not my job to, to force it. Uh, and so that's something I've, I've tried to take into our marriage, just praying over that. Yes? Good. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I think it's, it's fascinating because the number of guys that are raising their hands to ask questions right now is interesting to me. <laughs> because I think this, this topic revolves around the idea of what does it mean to, to be the spiritual leader in your home? Mm-hmm. And, and for guys that didn't grow up with an example, like myself, we live with this vague idea of what it means to lead our wives, yeah. mm-hmm. which we really have no idea how to do that, and we can buy devotionals by the, you know, Boat caseload. Oh yeah, Amazon will hook you up. It doesn't really help us know how to do it well, and then you have wives that have an idea of what it looks like to be led, mm-hmm. and, and so you have this tension between what we know to do, struggle to do, what they want us to do, how to do, and I think that's what that's what I'm hearing resonating in the room is is how do we how do we master that? How do we come to that kind of because I want to be able to pass along to my kids a better example than I was taught. Yeah. But you know it's uh, what you're talking about, if you're looking at Ephesians, when you're looking at Ephesians, you're looking from verse twenty two on all the way down through the through the con- uh, context, but if you go to verse 21, it says, "Submit one another out of reverence yes. to God." Christ. Christ. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Submit one another. Now, what that means is that it's a mutual agreement. Then the flow of the of the narrative yeah. keeps going. Yes. But the key that a lot of people will look at in your relationship is if you're submitting one another, mm-hmm. if the husband is submitting to the wife. I, my wife and I have, uh, uh, we try to outdo each other. Yeah. We outserve each I other. Win. That's good. <laughs> that's awesome. But, but, but that's, yes. that's the key yep. that opens up the door yes. where both of us are submitting to each other yep. and the rest of the world is looking at that. That's right. Because they're going to see if your Christian Christ-like marriage yep. is different than what they're seeing in the outside world. Yes. So that it's a it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful picture when people can see yeah. the dynamics of a of a Christian couple serving each other, mm-hmm. submitting to each other in service. Yes. And and if I don't know how long you've been married, but 
you know, I encourage young couples, um, get a, um, in your church, find a, an older married couple that you know their marriage is strong and, and their foundation is in the Lord. And have them be your mentors. Yeah. You know, learn from them because if you didn't grow up with that example, it's yeah. not too late to learn. And so I encourage, find somebody that can be your mentors that, that, that you can go with confidence and say, you know, I'm struggling in these areas. Mm -hmm. And they will help you grow in your marriage. And be open because God wants your marriage to grow. We all have had to learn um, how to be, you know, submissive to our spouses. But, you know, there's no shame of having a mentor. In fact, we're mentors to a lot of couples. Um, but, but your marriage will grow and flourish and you won't be disappointed. I will say something that you said along with that, and you, you said something about an atmosphere needing to be there. I think it's very important that you have in your marriage um, a safe a safe feeling for one another to share what you want to share without being judged necessarily, yes. for there to be grace in the home. And really, um, we, we came from two different backgrounds as far as how parenting was done and that kind of thing. And so when you said that about you know my perspective, her perspective of what it should look like, it's important for us as wives to realize that we, when leave and cleave means I'm leaving and I'm gonna do things the way that we're doing it in our home. And it may or may not look like what was done in the home I grew up in or in other homes that I saw. Um, and then as a man who hasn't had that example, for you to be teachable and, and, and open with your spouse and say, what, what do you expect from this? What do you see us, you know, how do you need this to be? How do you need this to go? Um, I think we often don't have that safe, open communication in our marriages about anything sometimes. Mm -hmm. We're afraid, we don't want to hurt any the other person's feelings, we don't want to step on their mama's toes or their daddy's toes, and so we just don't go there with some conversations, but I think it, I have to be able to say to him, I'm uncomfortable when things are done this way or that way, and here's why. And for him to appreciate that and meet me with, okay, well let's, Let's talk about how we can do this. Because ultimately, that non-communication is going to create a, an atmosphere where it's not thriving, and that only makes the devil win. That only allows him to get a foothold, and that's a scary thing. So um, honest, open conversation about what, is your, what are your expectations, what, what do you need from me, um, and that kind of thing would be good, I think. And, and just um, from a, a billy goat, just don't give up. You know, you just keep banging your head against the wall, and if it doesn't feel like it's going that great, you're still having a positive effect because your wife sees the effort being made. And when we, in our younger years, we, I don't think we recognized that as much, but as we've grown a, grown a little bit older, been married a little bit longer, I see the appreciation she has for my efforts that are fleeting and messed up sometimes. And I was a brat early on in our marriage with this. I mean, I'm not proud of it, but I'm just being honest. He would try to do something official and lead our home, and he would set up some idea for a devotional, and it wouldn't be the way that I thought, or it didn't go as smoothly as I thought it could have. And I can remember my it's attitude. Yeah, I would just have a really bad attitude, and I'm embarrassed by that. I'm not proud of it at all, but I know that 
I look at it now and I think, man, Lord, that was awful. He must have wanted to just not try at all because I did not make it easy on him. So how much did that critical attitude of hers hurt you? Say that one again. Sure how much did that critical attitude of hers hurt you? Yeah, not the beginning. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there were times that that it that it said uh, made me say, you know what? <laughs> Fine, I'm not going to try. You know, but. I thank God that that He continued to call to me to mm -hmm. to put those things out there. You know, I just wanted to encourage the gentleman in the back that just recently um, I've been married about ten years with three kids, and um, early in my marriage, I, I'm passionate about prayer, and my wife came from a background where she didn't pray at all, and so I was kind of devastated early in our marriage because I was expecting to have a wife that would pray for me, and it became this thing where when I asked her to pray, she got really discouraged, she got really upset, in her attitude. And it, it caused a rift, and, and so I, I think I became knowledgeable and wise and patient, and the Lord spoke to my heart, and I had to trust God. So if you ever feel like you're, you're moving at a different speed, just trust God that That's he right. gave you your wife, and he knows what you need way better than you do. Amen. And, and when you do that, it, it, you start looking at the positive things about her instead of the negative yeah. things. And that just changes your whole relationship. Absolutely. And I can just say with all my heart, I love my wife, mm -hmm. and that's why I'm here in this session. And uh, Amen. You know, so tr trust God. That's Amen. absolutely right. Exactly. Um, one of the one of the things we were gonna we were gonna mention as far as being intentional is just is just having that grace based approach to your marriage. Uh, don't. Don't expect your wife or your husband to, to live up to any standard that you have. Christ didn't ask us to meet any standard. There's nothing we bring to our relationship with the Lord except our faith. And He accepts us. And there's nothing we can do to make Him love us more. There's nothing we can do to cause Him to love us less. So we strive, we want to work on bringing more of that feeling into our marriage and, and helping others uh, to see that as well. You mean like almost every couple? <laughs> Listen, man, we have so many we have so many issues based on the way I fail to communicate. It's not even funny. Um, it is funny. Sometimes the person, it's funny now. Yes, <laughs> the one who's not as expressive verbally might be able to do so in written word. And so I, I know in a lot of different um, situations where you know, if someone's a crockpot thinker and they need to time to respond, it's better for us to do in the past, there'd be some, I mean, monster emails because I wanted to just get it all out and say everything, but he needed time to see what I was saying, nice. scroll through it all, and then respond. But I needed to be heard and say everything I felt like I wanted to be sit to say, but if I was saying it to him in person, I would pick up on an eye roll or a mm. body language thing, or a, and That's I would just forget it. I just won't right even there. say it. And then it would never <laughs> get it never would get talked about. And so we're much better verbally now than we used to be. But early on, we did a whole lot of important communicating yeah. via email yeah. and text because yeah. it, it felt safer too. I could go ahead and say it, and then he could read it, react to it, and then read it again and go, okay, yeah. she yeah. was coming from this place, yeah. you know, or whatever. And that really was helpful for us. And I would say too. If um, in our in our experience that we've had we've gotten to the point where it's like okay let's just let this breathe for a minute mm -hmm. but we have to close the loop you know the circle that keeps if it, that, that loop never gets closed it just keeps spiraling out of control right so we we really work hard to try to make sure whatever it is that, that has happened even if we went through communication issues try to we stick with it to even if we have to go away from each other for a few minutes come back 
work through that because that I mean God wants us to remain unified he wants us on the same page we can't we can't be what we should be for our kids or for him or for any other people that we meet if we are yeah you know because here's the deal isolation is what the devil uses as one of his biggest tools in all of our relationships but for me to feel alone like he doesn't care like and so the best thing you can do to fight against the temptations and the and the the attacks that the devil is sending your marriage is to work on that communication as much as you can even when it's not easy for you and it isn't for everyone and some people have a hard time being vulnerable and saying how they really feel about things because they don't feel like it's going to be received safely i would say that up front you know, I really want to share some things with you, but I'm afraid of how how it might be received. I've got these past issues where someone has mocked me for it or used it against me later. I'm just going to ask you in prayer to please receive this in the way that I'm sending it and just I, I really value you enough that I want to talk about it and I need you to know this is a vulnerable thing for me to do. Um, you know, and you just set it up and let them know ahead of time um, and, and trust the Lord to go before you in that and to, to you know, our, our Lord says in the Word, He will make crooked places straight. He will make rough places smooth. And we have to trust Him in, in these things to do that and lean on Him. Amen. 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 Did you have something? Yeah, one, don't, don't commit crimes to get rid of them because they are worth, they're worth the effort. You know, some nights you're just like, no, no, no. <laughs> No, we didn't commit any crimes. I'm just saying, there are night, there are times whenever they're so wild and crazy, you're just like, if you don't, you know, and you're just like dot dot dot. You, you know, you never, fin- you never want to finish that sentence because even, even those times, as tough as they are, once you just, you've got to know those times will will pass, and and one day you'll look back and be like, I wish I had a little one trying to. Keep it, stay out of bed right now, you know. So, and then I will also tell you though, but when they get to the age that ours are now, it gets really awesome. So, because yeah. we still we still have great relationships with our girls, but we're able to do a lot of stuff just with us, which is which is really great. One thing that that we did early on, and Steve was really good to express to our girls, <clears throat> Mom and I need some alone time, even if it's ten minutes on the back porch here. We've got glass doors. They could see that we were back there. We could see them. We knew, like, you guys sit at the table and do this, but Mom and I are going to have a little bit of time together where we can debrief for the day and just kind of chat. And it did two things. It made me feel valuable. When he came home, I felt like he cares to connect with me so we can have that transition between the day and work to our evening. Um, And my girls saw early on, and will say to this day, they see that, their mom and dad put a priority on their marriage. And I'm hoping, and that's our prayer, is that my girls will learn to expect that and want that in their own relationships. Because they're little and they do need a lot of your time, but there's nothing wrong with getting some time alone. Um, And you don't even always have to get a babysitter. But there's also probably people in your church who would help. But even if you just say, you're going to stay here on this couch, and Mom and I are going to sit over here, and you're not allowed to ask for anything, you're not allowed to, unless you are bleeding or on fire, I don't want to hear you. You know? Ed Young Jr. had a little book creative mar- on the creative marriage, and he just... He and his wife just called it the Sweet 16. Every day when he got home, they were they had just had scheduled it. They were going to spend 16 minutes together, sitting alone, talking, and just catching up. Those those moments like that are like an oasis in the desert to to a dry to a dry man for sure. 
And uh, boy, man, we, we've benefited from those times, and but we've also been through that challenge too. Yeah. You know, we, we, we believe so strongly in the power of marriage for the world around us. Yeah. You know, um, not only in the kids that are in your home that you're raising or that you may have influence over as part of a church ministry or whatever, but just when people meet you and you talk about, well, that's our anniversary, we've been married 25 years, whoa, they just go wild. Because people, people are drawn to that. They know that there is something better than, oh, throw away, this one didn't work, I'm on my third wife or third husband or whatever. They know there's something better. And your marriage, I believe, is, uh, is part of, of what the Lord was thinking about in Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill and cannot be hidden. And no one puts a light under a, a light, a lamp, and then they stick it under a bowl. They said they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. But what do you see if the lights are on in a house and it's dark from outside the house? You see the light too. And whenever you have an opportunity, let that light shine out of your house, out of your marriage, to be a blessing to the people yeah. around you. Uh, look for ways to pour into people's lives. Be able to serve in other ranges. So besides, besides this presentation, how do you disciple others in your life for positive marriages? Yeah, um, we do. We also I have some couples that that we that we are just we're in their life to be hopefully be mentors to them. Um, some of them are healthy and they've really never had any major major issues, but some of them are ones who, man, they were right on the edge of, of ending their marriage because of bad choices or bad feelings or attitudes or whatever. And so we, we can't do it for everyone, but we try to do for a few what we wish we could do for everyone. You formally meet with them? Hmm? Do you formally meet with them, or is it? Yes. Uh, usually, uh, at the at the at the onset of one of those that are kind of a trauma one, uh, I'll get together with the husband. She'll get together with the wife. Then we'll all get together, and then we just established an ongoing communication with them. We're going to touch base with you. We're going to call you. We're going to ask you how it's going, and we just make a commitment to be in to be in their life. You know, you can't force that, of course. No. Some people have it. to want yeah. got to want it. They got to want it. Yeah. The other That's thing is to do. open yourselves to it, to let people know. Like, people know that we're passionate about marriage, strong biblical marriage. They know that about us. So if they're having issues, oftentimes we're one of the first couples in the church to find out about it for referrals to uh, help or just encouragement or prayer. But we've also opened our home and said, like, yeah. this coming this Sunday, Sunday night. night you know, we've still got some young married couples. Yeah, we're just like, if anybody wants to come over, we're just going to have food and hang out. Yeah. It's not going to be any programmed event, but just to do life together yeah. the way that uh, the Word talks about in Acts mm -hmm. and the way that, like Priscilla and Aquila, what an amazing married couple. Mm -hmm. We don't hear a lot about them in the Bible. We don't know a lot of details about their marriage, but we know it must have been a healthy, strong one because of what the Lord did through them and the way that they willingly opened their home um, and moved to another place to help Paul. Uh, they let the church, let the church in meet in their, their home. Um, and just people saw the strength in that couple and the way that they were used. And they weren't even in full-time ministry. They were tent makers. They were just living life as disciples for the Lord, mm -hmm. knowing the impact it could make on those around them and being willing to be used. Yes. And that's, it comes down to obedience to him and letting him do through us what he has for us to do and not uh, letting our human uh, humanness 
put up a barrier or a wall and say, I'm not comfortable with that. Right. You gotta fiercely protect what you what you have and, and what you're pursuing together. Mm -hmm. But you have to have a, a, a loose grip on things too. You know, as far as uh, your time, your home, the things that you can do, be willing to open that up to other people. Protect what you've got, grow it, but also be willing to kind of let it go to, to bless others. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. The message you just heard was from D6 Family's track called Discipleship in the Home. Download their free church health assessment PDF with 30 simple questions that will help you know how your church is doing at family discipleship. Download it at discipleship.org D6. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.